Good morning, Encounter Church. Go ahead and grab a copy of God's Word, a Bible there at the chair, or maybe a copy that you brought with you, and turn to the book of 1 Peter. Uh, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter uh, for a number of weeks now, and we find ourselves at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. If you're not exactly sure where the book of 1 Peter is, you'll find it uh, in one of the chair Bibles on page 1,730, 1,730, and if you don't have a copy, and again, I, I just encourage you to, it's, it's just helps make everything much more easy uh, as, you, as I preach, uh, that way you can follow along, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word, or uh, either snuggle up to your neighbor and look over their shoulder, or uh, just grab your phone and, and find it on your phone, but First Peter uh, chapter 4. And as you're making your way there, I just want to say that today is uh, Joshua Bone's last Sunday with us before uh, flying back to Guam. He's going to be going back uh, to his day job over there uh, and uh, will be leaving next weekend. And Josh, it's been sweet having you uh, home with us. And uh, you're picking a great time to go back to Guam just as we get into the cold season here, right? Uh, but um, uh, we're thankful for how God's working in your heart and in your life and trust that uh, he will, you'll continue to follow him as you go back to Guam. So uh, just make sure you're praying for Joshua as he heads back there. Uh, so First Peter chapter 4, uh, verse 12, follow along with me as I read uh, for us here from God's word. Peter wrote, he said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I would say for many of us, whether we know it or not, but we tend to think that as Christians who are attempting to do good work or good things for God, uh, sometimes we can have the attitude that we have a special exemption against bad things happening to us, right? It's almost as if uh, as long as I'm doing good things for God, then somehow that will save me from having to experience life's difficulties, 
right? Have you ever thought that? And, and I would say that is often revealed when we find ourselves suffering. Because it's common in times and seasons of suffering that we ask questions like, why? Right? God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Uh, or maybe we even uh, look back at God and we, we kind of hold our arms up in the air and we say, God, after all that I've done for you, you're allowing this to happen to me? And so it seems that at times we do have this sense of a special exemption. Now we've been looking through the book of 1 Peter and the, the series title is that of Steadfast Living. And Peter's been talking about suffering for the sake of righteousness. And so he's dealing with a very specific type of suffering. It's the person who, who, who takes a stand for the Lord, who follows Jesus, who, who seeks to live for the Lord, and yet those who are against the gospel, uh, those who, would, uh, who, who do not believe in Jesus Christ, those are people maybe that are persecuting or maybe making fun of or treating the believer in a harsh way or an unfair way. And Peter is addressing those individuals who are suffering for the sake of righteousness. Now, I will say, as we've been studying this passage, that suffering uh, as far as maybe different types of testing or suffering as far as physical ailments or, or suffering in that way, uh, some of what we talk about also applies. And so maybe you're not suffering persecution, but maybe you are experiencing another type of physical suffering or some sort of infirmity that you're going through or relational suffering. I think some of what we talk about this morning will also apply directly to that. But by and large, the the context that Peter has established this suffering are those believers who are suffering for the sake of following Jesus Christ and living for him. The big idea that we're going to see this morning is this, is God's presence in suffering empowers us to keep living for Jesus. That God's presence in suffering empowers us to keep living for Jesus because the goal of persecution, the goal of the person who is making fun of us or who maybe is treating us harshly because of our faith, their goal is to cause us to stop following Jesus, to be more hesitant in living for the Lord. That's ultimately the goal. That's, that's how Satan wants to use persecution, is to convince you to kind of just let off the pedal a little bit in following Jesus, right? For, for your passion for the Lord to just die down a little bit, right? Don't be such a crazy Jesus fanatic. That's the goal of persecution. But Peter, as he's speaking as, as, as the recipients of this letter, who are new believers, right? Oftentimes, like many, many of us, maybe we grew up in a Christian home, we don't understand uh, that radical lifestyle change as some of those of you who maybe came to know Jesus in your adult life. 
And the, your, your lifestyle, the way in which you live, has taken a drastic 180-degree turn. And your friends who you used to hang out with are like thinking, what happened to Joe? You know, Sally's really kind of gone off the deep end with this Jesus thing. And so he's speaking, he's addressing new believers who are experiencing persecution for their faith. And he's encouraging them to continue to live for Jesus. And he's going to tell us, we're going to see how God's presence in suffering, right? We're not suffering alone. That God's presence in suffering is going to empower us to keep living for the Lord. Well, let's look here at the first point. I know we've got a baptism uh, here coming up the end, which is a really exciting time. Uh, so we'll, we'll try to make sure that we get through this text in a timely manner. The first, the first point I want to bring up here that Peter tells us, uh, Peter tells us to anticipate that you will suffer. You will suffer. And that, look there in your Bibles at verse 12. What does he say? He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter's providing a word of caution to these new believers. He's saying, don't be surprised when you experience persecution or suffering as a follower of Jesus. Now, many of us next weekend, right? Uh, maybe next weekend or over the next few weeks, uh, many of us are probably going to be taking a road trip of some sort, maybe going out of town and visiting family or, or getting away for a few days over this, uh, the Thanksgiving and the Christmas season. Now, if, if it's, it's like when, you, when you're traveling on a road trip, Right? You make all of these preparations in advance of the road trip to do all you can do uh, to make sure that it's a smooth trip, don't you? Many of us, as we're preparing for the, the road trip or the adventure, maybe you change the oil or you check the tires. Right? How many of you do that? You try to, well, maybe, maybe we should. Uh, we'll have a class on changing oil. <laughs> Thank you, Bruce. I'm glad someone, uh, some of us prepare for the road trip. Right? You, maybe you do that. Maybe all the luggage is stowed away in the back of the trunk. Right? It's all nice and, nice and tidy in there. Or if you're like us, you kind of get the last piece in and just jump on the trunk to shut it. You've got your road trip snacks. Can I get a witness? I bet there's a lot more people who take the road trip snacks than change your oil. Yeah, I see that there. Right? We have our, our snacks, right? Our, our, our sodas or our coffee there by our side. Maybe you've got the driving music all queued up or the podcast ready to play. Right? You've done all that you can do to plan for a smooth trip. But what happens? An hour or so in the trip as you're driving along, you start seeing these infamous orange construction signs. Road construction, two miles ahead. Signs that say things like, prepare to switch lanes. Or on those digital reader boards, stopped traffic ahead. And all of a sudden, the smooth trip that we had done all that we could do to plan for and to prepare for, is now going to come to a screeching halt. We're going to find ourselves hitting some delays. Now, I know probably many of us are then having, if we have anyone riding with us, we're like, hurry up, pull up ways. How can we, how can we avoid this, this construction? How can we avoid this slowdown? Believe it or not, the orange signs leading up to construction have a way of helping relieve our anxiousness. They do. In fact, because, because it, it, they prepare us 
for what is coming ahead. And even though as much as we might not like the stop traffic, at least I knew two to five miles back that it was coming. And so we have Peter. It's like Peter is hanging the big orange construction sign out for us. He's letting us know that there will be bumps in the journey of life. He's, he's letting us know that there's going to be detours, there's going to be slowdowns. Slow Sometimes there's going to be an outright change of plans and maybe what we had envisioned for our lives. And Peter is saying that much of it is going to be due to suffering. So he's saying here in verse 12, he is saying, dear friends, don't be surprised. Now, go on and and you notice the severity of the suffering. He's not just saying that we're going to have to suffer, but he tells us that it's a severe suffering. We see here he describes it as a fiery ordeal. A fiery ordeal. The picture is that of a smelting furnace used to purify, to melt, melt down precious metals for the purpose of burning away the dross and the impurities. What Peter's saying, and we see it then, you read just a little bit further into verse 12, he's saying that this suffering has a way of purifying your faith. It has a way of calling into question your faith. It very well could be that Peter probably wrote this letter shortly before or after the burning of Rome, when Rome was burnt. Right right there, right? It, near the start, it was probably written near the start of a, of a 200-year period of Christian persecution. That's what Peter's preparing the people for. Peter's use of this word fiery ordeal, it may have had both a literal meaning that was fulfilled with the fiery persecution of Nero, but it very well could have been a figurative meaning bringing to mind the fires of trials and suffering that God uses in our hearts and in our lives to purify our faith. Let me just say that more often than not, church, it's in seasons of suffering that God will do some of his greatest work in your heart and in my heart. C.S. Lewis even said that God whispers in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain. When, is, when, when does God have a way of getting your attention? Like, when do you find yourself crying out to the Lord most? It's in difficulty. So we see that we should anticipate that you will suffer. That's what Peter tells the people there. Watch out. The, he, he's giving us the orange construction signs saying there's trouble coming ahead. And, but then he goes on and he says, he says, but don't allow your suffering to steal your joy. Look there in verse 13, he says, but rejoice. He just told us in verse 12, suffering is on the horizon. But then he follows it up in verse 13. He says, but here's, how, here's your attitude. He says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Church, I would say probably many of us, like rejoicing is a little bit further down on the list of my response to suffering, to persecution, to hardship. 
Again, normal responses, I've mentioned, to, I mentioned them earlier in the sermon, but normal responses to suffering uh, tend to include us asking questions like, why me? What did I do to deserve this? Or we say things like, after all that I've done for you. I think other responses include anger, confusion, anxiousness. But Peter's instruction is this, is to do the opposite. He says, rejoice. Rather than allowing the suffering to steal your joy, he said we should be overjoyed in knowing that we participate in the sufferings of Christ. Now we need to remember that Peter is speaking specifically to those who are suffering because of their, their faith. They're suffering because they follow Jesus. Let's not forget that suffering as a Christian is actually, it's a means of assurance because Jesus even said in John 15, 20, Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. Jesus goes on and tells, tells the people, he says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Right? The Christian who, suffer, who, who, who suffers or is persecuted for his faith uh, is, is a partner in the same kind of suffering that Jesus endured. Uh, a week ago Saturday night, not last night, but the week previous, uh, Derek and Tori got married. They're not here. They're still on their honeymoon. We'll give them a pass for this morning for that. Uh, but they typically sit over there. They, they got married uh, last Saturday, a week ago Saturday, and uh, my wife and I were able to uh, sit there at the table. There were assigned seats, and a gentleman uh, who was sitting next to me uh, pulls up to the table, a table of eight, and he rolls up to the table in a wheelchair. And uh, we introduced ourselves to one another. His name is Norman. And uh, over the course of the evening, I heard Norman's story. Norman uh, shared with me how seven years ago he was diagnosed with ALS. Seven years living with ALS, he's living on borrowed time. And he understands that. The doctor didn't give him seven years. He said early on after his diagnosis, he had trouble sleeping at night. He said he would try all types of things to try to fall asleep. He said his mind was always just racing. He said he would try to read books, watch television, listen to the radio, pick up, pick up magazines. He said he was doing all he could do to occupy his mind. He said he, he could never fall asleep. He said he went to church. He's from Boston, so he was telling me this story in a thick Boston ac accent, which made it even more fun to listen to. And uh, he said he, he grew up in Boston. He said his parents would go to church a couple times a year. And said, so he got the, in his mind the idea to pick up the Bible and to start reading through the Gospel of John. And God got his attention through ALS by him reading the Gospel of John to where he came and trusted in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. God involved in a church and is thriving in his faith. He said people will often ask him, Norman, how is it that you can have such a joyful attitude? How is it that you're so happy? He said, here's what I tell him. He says, I'm going to live forever with Jesus. He said, what do I have to be afraid of? 
right? He doesn't allow his suffering to steal his joy. Why? Because he knows what lies beyond after his final breath here. He said it's a great hook. He said people will ask him and, and, and he'll just tell people, you know, I'm going to live forever. Wouldn't you like to know how you too can live forever? His mind is fixed on what is ahead. And, so, and we see this is, what, this is what Peter's doing for us there in verse 13. He says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. That's in the here and now. But he also says, so that you may be overjoyed when? When his glory is revealed. That, that's a coming, that, that, that's something that's going to happen in the future at Christ's return. You see, the day of Christ's return is, is an ongoing source of joy in our suffering. Right? Peter is drawing our attention to the return of Christ Jesus, giving us the important reminder that our suffering in this world is only for a very, 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 very short season in comparison to the length of eternity. At this minute, let me remind you of that wonderful verse of amazing grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. See, there's a day coming when the suffering servant will return as the victorious king. And we look back and we rejoice at the resurrection of Jesus and we look forward and rejoice at the return of Jesus. You see, it's we are living in this time, this age between the risen Savior and the return of the reigning King. Those two truths are bookends of our joy. And, and, it's, and I thought about this as far as, think of it in like uh, San Francisco, right? John, you, you're, you're San Francisco 49ers. I think of the trolleys. Don't they have trolleys? In, aren't they kind of known for that right now? I'm thinking about rice aroni uh, Aren't they known for, for those trolleys? That, and, and what do those trolleys have above them? They've got like that wire that's connected to another, uh, a source, overhead and those trolleys are able to go up and down the hills of San Francisco up and down up and down why because they're attached to that source that is running all the length that on one end is a power source and on the other end is another power source and in between that trolley just keeps trucking up and down those hills and church that's where we are that the theme the source of joy runs over all of us, that on one end is the risen Savior. And we look back on that day when Jesus Christ defeated sin and death. And it stretches all the way to that day when the returning King, the reigning King will return. And we live in this season and we are like that trolley car that as we go up and down the hills of life, we're reminded that there's joy. There's joy, and we're not going to allow the difficulties of this world 
to steal our joy. Why? Because we echo and we join with what Norman said. We're going to live forever with Jesus. Peter goes on. He says, God is especially near in your suffering. Verse 14. He says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ. Notice what he says. You are blessed. You are blessed. Why am I blessed? He says, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Right? He says, he says if you're insulted, if people make fun of you, if people say things about you publicly or privately in front of you or behind your back, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, he says, you are blessed. Why are we blessed? Because it, it's in that moment of suffering that we have the nearness of God. A couple weeks ago, we talked about that. I shared with you the story of, of Merritt losing his parakeet and how his mom and I were quick to come by his side and to pull him in close Peter gives us this incredible picture about the nearness of God. He says, he says there in verse 14, he says, You are blessed. Why? For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, as we think about that word rests on you, it takes us back. The, the spirit of the glory of God, all right, the pres his presence, it takes us back to Old Testament imagery of the Shekinah glory, of the, of, of the magnificence of the glory of God that was displayed to the Israelites. That as they were leaving Egypt, and if you, are, you, you might be familiar with this account, we find it in Exodus chapter 13 and 14. If you're, not exactly fam if you're not familiar with it, later today, take time to read it. But it takes us back to Exodus chapter 13 and 14. To where as the Israelites are leaving the, the enslavement, the slavery under Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And as Pharaoh kind of changes his mind. And as God leads the Israelites in such a direction that they're headed out toward the Red Sea. And now the Pharaoh's army is chasing after them. And, and they find themselves in between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. And they're wondering, what is going to happen now? What does God do? God sends his presence. How? A pillar by day and fire by night. And that presence, that glory of God, it says, came down and got in between Pharaoh's army and the Israelites causing confusion with Pharaoh's army, then opening up the sea for the Israelites to pass across. I'll read this for you. Here's what the Israelites say. Exodus 14, 13. Listen as I read it, right? The Israelites, they're, they're, they're frustrated. They're like, why did you bring us out here? Right? They, they said, we, we would have been better, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to just die by their hand out here in the desert. And listen as Moses answers them. He says this, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, 
and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Listen to this. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Psalmist in Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. Isn't it true sometimes in our suffering we, we try to fix it all on our own? But here, Peter says, the presence of God that was with the Israelites, what does it do? In your suffering and in your persecution, that presence comes and rests on you. It hovers over you. Right? Think about that presence, the magnitude of that presence. Like, God isn't just sending his junior helper your way, right? He's not sending the intern to provide you assistance, right? It's not like you're calling the dispatcher and saying, I have a medical emergency, and, and they're like, who should we? Oh, let's send this kid with this, like, play medical set to show up on your front porch. He's not sending the mall rent-a-cop. Forgive me if you're a mall rent-a-cop. He's sending, he's sending his very presence to rest on you. I wonder if maybe then that's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to stand firm in the fiery furnace because there was a fourth in the furnace with them. I wonder if it was the power and the presence of God who was with Stephen as he faced those men who were stoning him in Acts chapter 7. Paul even adds another twist that we should, he tells us in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul adds another twist. He says that we actually should treasure the weakness of our suffering because it's through suffering that we then experience the power and the presence of God. It's the glory of God, the strength of God that comes to our aid when we can't go any further, when our strength fails us, when all we have left is weakness. It's the glory of God that shows up when the Apostle Paul reaches the end of his rope, when he can go no further on his own strength. Listen to these words. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this, to take this thorn away from me. But what was God's response? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect when in your weakness so Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about what? About my strength? No. Paul says, I'll boast all the more gladly in my weakness. Why? Listen for it here. So that Christ's power, you ready? May rest on me. What did Peter say? What did Peter say? For the spirit of glory and of God rests on on you. Church, there's a presence of God that we are promised to experience when we're in the fire. And it's a presence of God that we will never experience 
without that fire, without that trial, without that suffering. You see, it's in those moments of struggle and trial that we have our sweetest fellowship with the Lord. It's in those moments when the spirit of glory and of God is nearby. It's then that we're most assured of salvation. It gives us this idea that God's presence takes a seat right next to us. It's like, if, if your house is anything like mine, it's like, it's like you, you, you clear off all the clutter that's piled up on your couch. And he just takes his arm and he just moves it all aside and he just sits right there with us. It's through the fellowship of our sufferings that the presence of God gives us a little taste of heaven, a glimpse into the communion that we will share with Jesus Christ for all eternity. And now what does that then cause us to do? It causes us to trust God and do what is right. Because sometimes when people are mean to us, sometimes when people persecute us, what do we want to do? We want to get even. We want to give them a piece of our mind, don't we? We want to do these like subliminal, not so subliminal posts on our social media page, right? That everyone's like, oh boy, they must really have it out for someone. Follow along verses 15 through 19. This will conclude this point here he says if you suffer it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind other kind of criminal or even as a meddler however if you suffer as a Christian what does he say do not be ashamed but praise God that you bear that name see Peter concludes this portion of his letter by reminding us that suffering as a Christian that there's nothing to be ashamed about in it that we should continue doing what is right even if our good works invite suffering. Then in verses 17 through 18, he continues, he says, for it is time for the judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? He says, and if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Again, he's, he's, he's kind of tipping his hat. He's pulling back the layers a little bit, saying that through this sufferings, through this persecution, there's a judgment, there's a testing, there's a fiery ordeal that the suffering and the persecution are intended to help prove your faith. It is like that smelting furnace that burns away the impurities that helps display an endurance in your heart that continues even when the world is hell-bent on your suffering. When facing suffering, let me ask you this, church. Will you pass the test? Right? Will you be found faithful? Right? This, this, in verses 17 and 18, he's, 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 he's causing us to ask these questions. Right? In the, in, in the midst of that suffering, am I, going to, am I going to want to get even at that person? Am, am I going to want to just say mean things? Am I going to want to wish them harm or do them harm? But he's, he's saying, are you going to stand? Are you going to pass the test? Will you continue to stand unashamed and glorify God's name? Now, I think a lot of us, we would say yes, right? Until the death. I'm willing to die for Jesus Christ. 
I think most of us in here would say, that's what I want. I want to be found faithful in that final moment when the suffering, if suffering would ever come and, and have to call my life to, to, to die for Jesus, I want to, to be willing to do that. But the, maybe the better question, though, is this. Is you might say, yes, I, I want to die for Christ, but maybe the better question is this. Are you willing to live for him today? Because, church, the way we prepare ourselves for the days and seasons of suffering that have been promised to us, the orange construction signs, the way we prepare ourselves, the way we get ourselves ready to be faithful in the face of persecution is by living faithful lives today. Most of us think we'd like to be willing to, that we'd be willing to die for Jesus but yet we're not willing to live for him now. We're not willing to devote ourselves to prayer. We're not willing to read our Bibles regularly. We're not willing to tell people about Jesus. We're not willing to be generous with our time and our money. We're not willing to turn away from temptation. We're not willing to guard our minds See, church, if if we're not willing to live for Jesus now, then how on earth do you think you'll be willing to die for him? If we're not willing to live for him in the here and now, we should not be surprised when our knees tremble and when our knees buckle under suffering and persecution. That really is the bigger question. That Peter says there's a way in suffering where judgment and testing comes for the the church, the household of God. And it's going to call us to account and to say, do you really believe? And are you willing to live? And verse 19 then concludes, he says, so then, those who suffer according to God's will, boy, that's hard, isn't it? Suffering according to God's will, that God allows suffering, that God brings suffering in your lives, that He wills it to happen. That's a hard truth to grasp. But that that in that suffering, there's a benefit to us. And He concludes, verse 19, He says that we will commit ourselves to our faithful Creator and do what? And continue to do good. To do what is right. That, church, is how you, um, you love your enemies. That's how. Because you've entrusted yourself to your faithful creator. You trust him. Because you're like Norman who says, I'm going to live forever with Jesus. And if that's the case, then I can give my life for the Lord in the here and now. I can love my neighbors. Neighbors who don't love me and and may never love me back in return. I can be kind and generous to the coworker who does say nasty things about me in the office place. I can be generous and kind to the family member who I'm going to see at the Thanksgiving meal coming up. 
who has always um, made fun of my faith. Maybe that's you. Why? Because we suffer, we join with Jesus Christ in his sufferings. Right? Our suffering points then to the cross. Right? You might be saying, sitting here and you might say, man, this is just such a crazy religion. <laughs> right? who, would, who in their right mind would sign up to follow Jesus if Jesus promises persecution? Right? You, maybe, maybe you're sitting in here and you might, you're, 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 you're here for a baptism because someone invited you and, and they just said, well, I'll take you out and I'll pay for your lunch. And you're like, okay, I'll, I'll endure that so I can get a free lunch. Maybe you're here because of that this morning. I don't know. I don't know what brings you here this morning, but maybe you've not trusted in Jesus Christ. And you hear this, this promise that, that, right, the one to whom we worship, Jesus, he says, you will have to suffer on my behalf, you might say, you are out of your mind if you would follow Jesus Christ. Well, church, I would say you are exactly correct if Jesus didn't first suffer for me and suffer for you. He gave his life on the cross, taking on himself the penalty and the payment of your sin, I don't care how good you think you are, you have sinned. You have disobeyed a holy God and it's because of that sin that every one of us in here deserves death and deserves an eternal punishment, eternal suffering because of our sin against a holy God. But Jesus Christ... God in human flesh stepped off the throne and he said, I'm going to go. I want to be with them. Oh, Emmanuel, God with us. Didn't we just sing that a few minutes ago? He said, I'm going to be with them and I'm going to make a way in which they can be with me. And he was willing to suffer on the cross for you and me. He lived a life of perfect obedience died a death that you and I could never die. The Bible says then on the third day, and history records on the third day, Jesus Christ walked out of that grave. Having defeated our worst enemy. And he invites us to believe in him. Church, I, I, would, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. I, I would say it, it's crazy. Why would I want to suffer if Jesus had not first suffered for me. And because I know he was willing to, to pay that debt for me, then I'm going to be willing to give my life for him. If you're sitting here and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, let me invite you to make today that day of salvation in which you place your faith in him in which you come to that point to where you agree with God and you say, you're right. I am a sinful person. I lie. I cheat. I look at things I shouldn't look at. I listen to things I shouldn't listen to. I, I say things I have in, inside the motives of my heart. I get angry at people. Can you come to that point to where you have sinned against a holy God and that sin, can you come to a point to where you agree and you say, yes, that sin separates me from, a holy, from, from this holy God. And can you come to the point and see where the cross bridges that chasm?
and makes a way. The Bible tells us that if you'll agree with that, if in your heart you'll believe that to be true, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and on the third day rose again, if you'll agree with what has already happened in history, that you can be saved. And I invite you to do that today. Maybe you just came here for a baptism of someone else. But maybe God had bigger things in mind for your heart to save you and to draw you into himself. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray now for your spirit. God, I pray now that that same spirit that rests in us and with us in persecution, God, I pray that your same spirit would fill this place. And God, that you would draw men and women to yourself to trust in you and to believe in your holy name. Father, I pray for those of us who do believe, have believed in the past, God, that you would help empower us by your presence to continue living for you, to not give up. God, help us continue doing what is right Help us continue loving our neighbors. Help us continue loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. And God, that they might see our good works and glorify you. And so God, I just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you have more questions about what it means to surrender your life to the Lord, And to follow Him, I want to just extend a special invitation to you. Again, Dan has already mentioned those connection cards um, that are in the Bibles. If you would, just fill one of those connection cards out. And uh, and just note on there, hey, I've got questions or I'm interested in learning more about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, If you would just fill this out or maybe you have... Maybe you're, experience, maybe you're walking through a season of difficulty and suffering and you would like us to pray for you or to even sit down and encourage you in some way. I want to encourage you, just grab one of these out of one of the Bibles. Just fill it out on the back. There's space for you to write. And then there are the offering boxes at the back. Just slip it in there and then we'll be in touch with you. But I, I, I can't tell you, if, you if, there, if there's this knot in your stomach right now because of of what you've heard or if there's a curiosity in your mind don't leave this morning without without reaching out and inviting us to come alongside you and and dig a little bit more deeply into that this is these these are matters of eternal significance church eternal significance That's a long time, and we want to help you with that.